Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews. Shopping tips. Driving green. Electric cars. Classic cars. And plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, I am Tom Appel, and this is episode 146 of the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Hey, thanks for joining us today. When you get a chance, check us out at consumerguide.com. While you're there, check out our 2022 Best Buy Picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you are looking for a new car or truck. You will also want to check out our blog for complete reviews of all the vehicles we're driving here at Consumer Guide and a bunch of other fun stuff. And, and you can catch up on back episodes of the podcast right there on our homepage. All right, let's see who's online with us today. He is the senior editor here at Consumer Guide, and he prefers Miracle Whip to mayonnaise. He's Damon Bell. Hey, Damon. <laughs> no, I'm a real mayonnaise guy, actually. Are you? Yeah. What is I, Miracle uh, Whip? I think it's mostly vegetable oil. Whereas, is it? Whereas I think mayonnaise has, you know, actual egg whites or egg yolks, or it's it's there's real egg in mayonnaise, and I think Miracle Whip might be fake eggs somehow in in your experience are the two especially different say on a sandwich the i would say mayonnaise is 22 percent better than miracle whip in a Roughly. pinch in a pinch me, yeah yeah tw- okay 22.7 if you want to pin me down <laughs> it's 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 uh miracle whip's just fine in a pinch but when you have the real thing uh, mayonnaise is, is definitely better. Although I will say my household does not use mayonnaise quickly enough and we always have to buy even when buying the smallest jar of mayonnaise at the store we still usually end up having to throw it out because we don't use it fast enough. That happens to us with capers. <laughs> you use capers at all? No, I'm pretty sure if I dug into our refrigerator seriously one day, the sort of an excavation project, I could find like a seven-year-old jar of capers. Mm. And they're probably fine. Do you, do you, do you take the, the chance on that? No. Okay. No. I will say, I will say the, the gap between Miracle Whip and mayonnaise, uh, not anywhere near as large as the gap between honest real maple syrup and the fake maple in quotes or actually i don't even think they can call it maple anymore like just the fake syrup that is you know cheap corn syrup syrup in grocery stores like the log cabin or aunt jemima or whatever we used to get by on that and then we got some real maple syrup which is more of a hassle because you have to have it in the fridge and stuff for it to keep properly um, but real maple syrup versus the fake stuff, no comparison. All right. I think we got off track before getting on track. <laughs> Dave, Dave, what are we talking about today, David? I'm especially excited for today's show because we've got a great guest today. We've got Joe Ligo. Uh, he is a filmmaker, an independent filmmaker who is working on a documentary called The Last Independent Automaker. Uh, and it looks to be a fantastic uh, film that they are working on. Actually, a multi-part series right, on right. the history of AMC, American Motors Corporation. So uh, really excited to talk to Joe in the next segment. American Motors is an interesting company simply because I think that its its place in American automotive pantheon is a bit confused because it, it wasn't called American Motors, though the company existed for a long time. It wasn't really until the late 60s that that became the name of the company, right? Before that, we were talking a lot about Rambler still. Mm-hmm. And, and then the company sort of disappeared pretty quickly. <laughs> What was it? It had like a 13-year run after that. It was, it, was, it was a short-lived company as American Motors, but the history of the companies that became that company are fascin- is fascinating. Yeah, and there's so many. Um, everybody 
likes to make fun of the gremlin and the pacer uh-huh. to, name, to name a couple but they are they were really innovative cars and i think we're probably even now seeing that people are collecting those vehicles maybe some were collecting them ironically but i think there's unironic appreciation of those vehicles now as there should be yeah the the, the bubble looking pacer which came out was for 1975 correct um, that mid yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, that that vehicle was super hot selling for about a year and a half. So at least initially on, the buying public at the time appreciated the design elements there. Unfortunately, it wasn't very interesting other than that. It was powered by a fairly pedestrian six-cylinder engine. Um, it was a little expensive for what it was. And there was a problem with the air conditioning keeping up with all the glass area in the summer. I guess <laughs> that vehicle got pretty warm. But we'll be talking about that a little bit later. Uh, what else have we got, Damon? Well, we've had a couple... Uh, luxury sedans in our fleet actually we still have them in our fleet uh, as of now that made significant impressions on us and they're both from the same company we have the uh, Genesis G90 that's the flagship luxury sedan from Hyundai's Genesis luxury brand and it's been completely revamped for 2023 in a pretty impressive fashion Uh, and then also we have a pure electric version of this penultimate Genesis luxury sedan and that's the G80 so we have a G80 electrified um, actually I have to admit that the pure electric version of the G80 kind of caught me by surprise I didn't think that that would be in the works but here it is a a full electric version of that luxury sedan that you'd really have to look twice to to tell it from the regular gas engine version at a glance yeah i want to talk about the 90 more than the 80 but i want to make a point about the 80 quickly and that and i think it's you'll share my position on this where did this car come from i don't Luxury sedan sales are down. Everyone wants luxury crossovers. So it's interesting that Genesis bothered to electrify this vehicle using their language. But additionally, it is one of the least electric vehicles I've driven in terms of driving experience. It looks and feels and smells like like a <laughs> conventional vehicle that just happens to be electric. And the electric part of this does nothing but make it better. This car oh. is quick. It does very well in terms of range. Uh, I don't know what the stated range is, but we've been seeing over 300 on a full charge, which is impressive. Yeah. Yep. But I, I like this car. The only thing I had, and, and you know what? You and I have not talked about this this off air since you've experienced the vehicle. Do you sense to some extent the weight of that battery? Yes. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's certainly, I mean, no large luxury sedan feels per, like a particularly light to start with but right. yeah you definitely can can feel the weight of it some of that though i'm still i just got in it last night so i'm still kind of getting accustomed to it some of that is the the e-brake regenerative braking feel when you lift off the throttle and i haven't played around with those drive modes so there is that when you lift off the throttle pedal there's that natural regenerative feel um that it's actually recharging the battery so i think that's definitely contributing to my to the sense of it feeling heavy yeah hyundai which is the parent company of genesis and their hyundai brand products calls that e or i pedal right for intelligent pedal yeah and and it's funny because when you explain i pedal to someone and the fact that you do not in its top setting need to use the brake pedal at all People universally freak out and ask why you would ever want to do this. And once you drive with it for more than a day or so, you get used to it to the point where you like it, and then you prefer it. I absolutely prefer it. I have better control over the vehicle. And the brake pedal is still there. Nothing has changed. If you want to go to the brake, you can. It's it's a really great system. And then when you get out of that car into a conventional vehicle, (laughs) you're very confused for a few minutes. Yes. So I want to jump back a little bit. You said it that the G80 electrified smells like a normal vehicle. What do you, what do you, <laughs> did electric cars smell different to you? No, they don't. It's just a good smelling car. Every it's, brand, every it's brand. The, it's, go ahead, David. It's, it's the, it's the, le, is it the leather? The, the, yeah. 
Yeah. Upscale leather interior stuff? Okay. Right. Yeah, but there, are, there are car brands, BMW, Mercedes, and Ford, actually, that smell very much like those brands. Like, I think a lot of journalists could be blindfolded and put into a brand new vehicle from one of those brands, and they could call it out. And Genesis is starting to have its own very unique leather smell. And I know that this is an intentional, well-cultivated smell. Uh, it's not some accident, but it, it works well. And you are an expert on well-cultivated smells. <laughs> Which is why people hang around my office. That's right. Or not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and speaking of smelly cars, no, good smelling cars. We should talk about the G90. Yes, that has, well, actually, yes. Oh, solid segue there, because that gives us the opportunity. Let's start with one of the the, uh, totally luxury (laughs) coddling features of this car. It has a fragrance diffuser in the climate control system. Uh, there's even a, it, not only is there a fragrance diffuser, there's three different levels so you can kind of control the intensity. And I, in the, the trunk of the test vehicle we have, I think there was five or six uh, fragrance cartridges, I guess you would say, that you can plug into the system. Um, that, so not only is, a, it a, is it a fragrance diffuser, you have your choice of carefully curated uh, scents to enjoy while you're driving the car. So I'm just gonna ask this question. Does the nice smelling atmosphere in the G90 improve the overall uh, driver experience for you? uh 2.3% yes <laughs> roughly <laughs> i think it i think it does it's just it's one of those kind of coddling things um and and uh, why not if it, and that's one thing too we should say so the G90 has been significantly revamped for 23 i don't think it's pretty close to a, a all out redesign though i think there's some uh internal structure that carries over but the styling is all new the interior is all new uh the upscale engine is new uh it's a uh it has an e-supercharger system a 48 volt mild hybrid uh system to the the former v6 the turbo v6 uh so the v8 g90 is no more but i don't think many people will miss it after driving this uh supercharger engine um and the, the the exterior styling, I just posted on Twitter about this. I'm, in my opinion, this new G90 is now the best looking large luxury sedan. Yeah, two thoughts on that. I agree with you. I think this is a fabulous looking car inside and out. Uh, the interior is incredible too. Um, one of the interesting things about this vehicle to me is that Genesis has found its character. For years and years and years, Genesis mm-hmm. styling has been derivative and the driving experience has been somewhat derivative as well. And they never really, until the last generation, the last couple of generations, really found a right handling balance that was suitable, I think, for the character of the car they were, they were attempting uh, to put together. But that's not the case anymore. And if, tell me if you agree on this. I would describe the vehicle now as mostly luxury with some sporty character. Uh, I think that's what they're going for. The power is good, but it's a coddling experience, as you've noted before. Also, if you get the e-supercharger edition, which is substantially more expensive, or what is it, about 10 grand more expensive, yeah, uh, you, you get an unbelievably good audio system and a lot of really smooth power. And I think that's a, those things really contribute to the sense of luxury. I, I agree. And, and you also, when you step up to that e-supercharger version, you get a lot of... Uh, rear seat area upgrades too, including a passenger side rear seat that reclines like a lazy boy and even has a flip out footrest. Although I will have to note, uh, me being six foot six inches tall, I was too tall to fit in that back seat area with the recliner up. My, uh, my legs were just too long. And even with the uh, front passenger seat automatically adjusting all the way forward as it does when the back seat reclines like that. I could not fit, but an average sized person would. Now you know how I feel when I try to get in a Miata. <laughs> yeah. Those cars are not built for us. But 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 the just real quick we should mention so with all these upgrades for twenty twenty three, the price of the G ninety goes up quite a bit. That 
quote unquote entry level version is 90 grand ish and the top line e supercharger version is 100 grand now which that's a substantial upgrade from last year but <laughs> as silly as it sounds even at those prices when you are cross shopping this versus a bmw 7 series a lexus ls a mercedes s class <laughs> it's still a really good deal as crazy as that sounds it is but it's less of a deal and and Genesis originally was always a value luxury brand, right? Sort of where Volvo used to play 20 years ago. And that's not the case anymore. They've gotten a little bit more self-confident and a little bit bolder. And these prices are much closer to the competition than they used to be. And they are more, for example, than like the Lexus LS, which isn't a bad car since they did a... Uh, uh, an update of the suspension a couple of years ago, uh, but that what the Lexus starts about seventy nine grand. So Lexus definitely finding it's 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 uh, what am I looking for? It's moorings, I guess, and has decided that it is selling a legit luxury vehicle, Gen and they're Genesis. starting to price them. Genesis, thank Genesis, you, yeah. yeah, and they're starting to price them that way. Right, indeed. All right. Well, uh, I think that's all we have on those two vehicles, unless you have any other thoughts. Uh, I guess just, just real quick, one other uh, noteworthy feature that that goes along with the fragrance system. Yeah. There is there is a mute there there is a mood curator feature in this car that uh, it will you can choose from four different uh, program settings: comfort, care delight and vitality and it, it's a, it's a it's an ambient music thing it changes the ambient lighting in the car and it gives you a, i think some of them have a fragrance component to it as well um it's just uh, this is a term we've talked about you and i a lot tom self-care <laughs> this hundred thousand dollar car helps you practice self-care when you've had a tough day at the corner suite at the at the office <laughs> you can drive home and have your car give you oh in massage is a, a component of, of some of these too so uh, you can have a pre-programmed <laughs> uh, mental health uh, uh, component to your commute all right so the g90 a legitimately good vehicle with some new ag some nods to new ag stuff that we probably don't fully endorse uh, <laughs> All right. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we talk to movie and, uh, and uh, documentary producer Joe Ligo. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. I am Tom Appel, and this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Thanks for sticking around today. Hey, this is the part of the show when I strongly suggest that you follow me on Twitter. I am Car Guy Tom. That is Car underscore Guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I promise to entertain. All right, our guest today is the producer director of the Last Independent Automaker. Welcome to the Car Stuff Podcast, Joe Ligo. Hey, Joe. Hey, Tom and Damon. Thanks for having me on. And, and a shout out to Twitter. That's how we met. So, you it know, is. <laughs> being, being on Twitter is a good thing for car people, that's for sure. Car Twitter is a wonderful thing. And yeah, you and I, uh, we have never spoken before, we have only spoken on Twitter so far. Yes, so I'm I'm glad that uh, that it worked out, and I was able to be a part of the the car stuff podcast. I was a listener. I enjoyed some of the episodes you did with Electrify America and some of that stuff. Some really cool tech here, um, and so now I'm here to talk about very outdated, low tech. <laughs> Joe, before we move forward, tell us a little bit about your background. You've had a very interesting career. Absolutely, yes. So uh, I. I got a job at, I work in television, and so I worked in various TV jobs, ended up at Motor Week at Maryland Public Television uh, with John Davis there, and that was a great job. Worked there for a few years, transitioned to, into another program at MPT, uh, working there. And then now I am out on my own as an independent documentary filmmaker, as you mentioned, the producer of The Last Independent Automaker which is a documentary series about the history of American Motors Corporation. So we're talking gremlins, pacers, eagles, ramblers, and even a few Jeeps, too. Awesome stuff. Tell us about, uh, tell us about American Motors, for people who don't know or don't remember, and why it's called an independent automaker. Sure. So going back in time here, 
there was a period in America where there was more than just GM, Ford, and Chrysler uh, building cars here in America. And there were, you know, a hand, uh, you know, after World War II, there were still about a dozen different companies who manufactured automobiles. And, you know, there were what were called the big three, which are GM, Ford, and Chrysler. And then there was a yeah. smaller group called the independents, which isn't a perfect term to describe them because some of them, in, you know, the, the implication was that, you know, GM was not independent because it was made up of a bunch of different divisions, whereas the independents were these smaller companies like Nash, Hudson, Studebaker, Packard, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, some of them had mergers and subsidiaries and stuff like that. So it's an imperfect name. But in the industry at the time, if a magazine referred to the big three versus the independents, that's how automakers were, were categorized. So Nash, Hudson, so on and so forth were independents. And what happened is uh, after World War II and, you know, the fabulous 50s, there was a, a, a lot of uh, turmoil in the auto industry and a lot of the smaller independents had to merge or die. And uh, Hudson and Nash, the Hudson Motor Car Company and the Nash Kelvinator Corporation merged in 1954 to create American Motors Corporation. And it, as it turned out, American Motors outlived all the other independent car companies of its era surviving all the way up until 1987. And so that's where the title for the documentary series comes from the last independent automaker uh, we're talking about AMC. They were the last of a breed up until 1987. There were four American car companies uh, that you could buy a vehicle from, but uh, alas, American motors is no more. Yeah. And, and so uh, you, you mentioned uh, now we're going to be talking about old uh, outdated cars, but American Motors really did do a lot of innovative things kind of throughout its, its history. Um, what do you think stands out as some of those innovations? Like, weren't they kind of among the first to Absolutely. In, in the days of like tail fins in excess? They were among the first to offer true economy cars. Um, there's that. There's, of course, the, the Gremlin and the Pacer, which lots of people like to make fun of, but they were actually very innovative cars. What are, what are some other AMC innovations that kind of stand out to you throughout the company's history? Absolutely. So, you know, American Motors, you, you mentioned already, made, uh, you know, we give Volkswagen a lot of credit and rightfully so for popularizing small cars in America. But, you know, American Motors did a lot in that market, too. Right. In the 50s, which were generally an age of excess, at least in the automotive realm, uh, American Motors kind of found a niche in the market by building economy cars. And they kind of found a sweet spot with a vehicle called the Rambler that was you know, bigger than a Fiat or a Volkswagen or, a, you know, an imported European car, but smaller than, you know, a DeSoto or a Buick or a, a Mercury. And so it kind of hit a sweet spot where, you know, it drove and handled well, you know, it was easier to park, easier to drive, better, got better gas mileage, but you could still get it fixed at any kind of shade tree mechanics shop. And so it really kind of hit a sweet spot for people. And they made a, you know, it, it's worth I'd say it, you could argue that without the success of the Rambler in the mid fifties and late fifties, we never would have seen the Falcon and the Valiant mm -hmm. and, and possibly even the Corvair. I mean, those cars, yeah, they were trying to compete with Volkswagen, but they were also trying to get some of that tasty market share that Rambler had. Right. So, and then an another area of innovation, um, of course, would be in four-wheel drive. After American Motors purchased the Jeep Corporation from Kaiser Industries in 1970, AMC did a lot with developing better four-wheel drive systems, you know, reducing noise, vibration, and harshness, making SUVs and trucks more comfortable and quieter and, you know, better handling, and also creating full-time four-wheel drive systems that, you know, you didn't have to lock the hubs, you didn't have to get out and, you know, you didn't have to shift. It was just full-time four-wheel drive all the time. And, uh, of course, you know, the AMC Eagle being the first four-wheel drive American car is a pretty big innovation as well. And then, yes, you also, you mentioned the Pacer. Uh, the Pacer gets, you know, mocked a lot as, you know, kind of this like ugly car for losers, but there was really a lot of thought that went into the Pacer's design. It was one of the first cars designed from the inside out. 
that basically wow. the goal was we need a car that can comfortably seat people and we're going to design the interior. You know, it, 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 they were designed simultaneously, but a lot of thought was put into the interior and ergonomics and giving people enough room and enough space and then designing a body around it that was not wasteful with sheet metal, you know, like a lot of other 70s vehicles. And so, you know, even though the Pacer had a lot of compromises in its design, uh, the idea behind it was a very solid concept. And then we see that today with cars now, you know, cars are designed, we think about the interior first and then figure out what we want the outside to look like. Yeah, one one of my favorite tidbits about the, the Pacer is that the doors are asymmetrical. Is it the passenger side door that's slightly larger? Yes, the passenger side door is several inches larger to make it easier to access the back seat and, you know, easier for passengers to get in and out of the curb side of the vehicle. Uh, that didn't translate as well, you know, when the cars were sold overseas. <laughs> but, but, yes, uh, you know, it, for left-hand drive markets, yeah, the, the extended passenger side door was one of one of the several clever solutions that AMC was known for. I mean, they didn't have a ton of money to throw at their problems, and so a lot of times they came up with innovative ways of offering stuff you couldn't get on other cars, whether that was, like I said, a four-wheel drive car like the Eagle or, you know, other certain little features that didn't cost a lot of money to develop but made owners feel like their car was just a little bit better suited, you know. Right. John, I wanted to talk about the all-wheel drive systems for just a moment because AMC is responsible for perhaps for perhaps what is one of the finest TV commercials of all time, <laughs> and that is a commercial for the uh, AMC Eagle SX4 in which a quote uh, AMC out accelerates Trans Am on loose gravel, uh, which is. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so good. We will link to that because that is that is fabulous stuff. That is a favorite, right? It, it has three different comparisons. It's right. It it out it's out accelerates Trans Am on soft sand. You know, out oh. accelerates Mustang Turbo on loose dirt, and you know, out makes <laughs> MGB on dry pavement. And you know, basically. AMC didn't have a ton of money at that point. They were in pretty tough financial straits. And so, you know, they, they came up with, and the marketing department was like, well, we have to find a way to, to, <laughs> we have to find a way to make this car sound better than the competition. And so, right. The, the SX4 was sort of a sporty four wheel drive coupe. And it's like, well, it'll, it'll out accelerate, you know, Mustang turbo on loose dirt. And that'll work, you know? <laughs> and so, Right. It was, and, and you saw that over and over again. They would find that one thing that the car did better and use that as a selling point. You know, uh, you know they would say, oh, well, you know, Gremlin has a standard six cylinder, Pinto only has a four cylinder. And of course, during the gas crisis, that was the downside, but they found a way to spin that <laughs> as more engine for your money. And so there were, there were lots of clever things they did like that where it was, you know, they, they knew how to stretch a dollar for sure, for sure. And, so, oh, and the fun thing about, oh, sorry, I was just going to say the fun thing about this, this documentary is that we interviewed 30 or so people who worked at American Motors. And so we're hearing these stories straight from them, straight from the people who worked in you know design and engineering and, and sales and marketing. It's really cool to hear them explain the story behind the commercials and the ads and the cars and all that stuff. Let's talk about the documentary a little bit. The the trailer for the documentary, which we will link to, uh, is very exciting. You, that's a great trailer, by the way. I'm hooked. I want to see this this documentary. But you interview Mitt Romney, and I think a lot of people might not know the connection. Explain to us why Mitt Romney would know so much about American Motors. Absolutely, yes. He was a huge uh, achievement that we were able to get him to participate in the documentary. Yes, so uh, Mitt Romney's father, George Romney, before they went, before he went into politics, George Romney was uh, worked in the automotive industry, and for a period of time, from 1954 to 1962, he was president and CEO of American Motors, and so. Basically, the success of American Motors after the Hudson-Nash merger, a lot of that success is attributed to his leadership. And so being able to catch up with, with Mitt and interview him about his father's work in you know, what is probably the only interview he's done that doesn't talk about politics, <laughs> yeah. the cars. Uh, it was really cool to be you know to be able to hear him talk about 
going to work with his dad when he's 12, 13 years old, you know, going to the styling studios, seeing the clay models of the cars, uh, you know, his dad telling him how excited they were about this new product or that new product. I mean, not many kids have the opportunity to grow up with a parent who is the president of a car company. And so being able to hear his stories as he reminisced about his dad and his dad's work was, was really sweet. Uh, it was really neat. Yeah, so you're an independent filmmaker making a movie about an independent automaker, uh, which means that you don't have all the money you need to produce this documentary that we absolutely want to see done. So tell us about how you're producing this and how people can help out. Sure, absolutely. So we are, you know, our team is a team of three, and I'm the, the producer, director. And, yes, so we're a small independent team. And we are partnering with Maryland Public Television. It's a, a PBS station here in Maryland, the same station where I worked. And they're going to help us distribute the finished product once, it done, once it's done so it can air nationally on, on TV. But on, the challenge with that is that our team still has to help raise the funds to fund this product, project. Uh, nobody's cutting us a you know, big million-dollar check. You know, Netflix isn't knocking down my door to come get this this project. So this is really a passion project. And, and one of the ways we're raising money for it is we started a GoFundMe campaign that we put out the same time we put out the trailer. And I've just been blown away by people's generosity. It's, we've raised over $10,000 already, and we're still getting more contributions. You know, Every little bit helps. Uh, filmmaking is an expensive process. There's a lot of travel and equipment and, you know, and things like insurance and licensing and all kinds of things you wouldn't think of, but we've really been thankful for just the incredible generosity. Uh, you know, we've had hundreds of emails and donations pour in where people tell us, oh, I grew up riding in a Rambler. My dad had a Hornet. <laughs> My mom had an Ambassador station wagon, or we had an Eagle or a Concorde or a CJ or a Wagoneer. And this company really means a lot to people. I mean, American Motors has been out of business since 1987, you know, over 30 years and it's really amazing to hear all these people talk about how much this company meant to them, um, whether they worked there or they just happened to have a neighbor who drove an AMC. Uh, it's really amazing how much AMC meant to people and still does. I mean, I was just at the Kenosha Homecoming Car Show in July, and they had over 740 AMCs show wow. up for that show. Wow. I mean, it was incredible. So it's, it's really cool. To, and, you know, we've interviewed so many people who work there, you know, from the assembly line all the way up to the CEO suite. And to hear people talk about how much this place, this company meant to them, uh, it just reinforces that we're doing the right thing by, by making this documentary. I mean, these cars, you know, AMC was a small company compared to GM, but, you know, they still employed 15,000, 20,000 people. And that that work meant a lot to the people who worked there, the men and women who worked there. I mean, it was a life changing experience to to work for American Motors. Yeah, a lot I just, of pride there. Absolutely, and and you should be proud too, because I would like to, I will echo Tom and say that this trailer, the quality is so apparent, and the way you went about it, like teaming up with Pat Foster, who is widely acknowledged as kind of the preeminent. AMC historian you've you've already got a leg up there and just seeing the talking head footage of the people you're getting the story straight from the horses mouths because it's the people who were on the factory floor who worked for the company and I know that you have accessed a lot of amazing archival footage as well and that's no small feat to get those obsolete tape formats and get them converted so they can be saved so you're you're doing the lord's work here uh and i'm i'm curious like you must have discovered so many amazing things about the the company that you didn't already know which is kind of one of the funnest ways to, to go about it so i know we're getting close to time here but could you just is there anything that surprised you uh be it an interview story or uh, a piece of archival footage that you uncovered in this process Absolutely, yes. So we've, we've had a great time. I even had to buy a Laserdisc player to get some of the vintage footage that AMC stored on Laserdisc. So, yeah, it's been really cool. But the thing that surprises me the most is how, you know, you can ask 10 people the same question and they all have a different opinion on it. Um, 
Yeah, I'll use Renault as an example. So, you know, in the late 70s, when AMC was in a pretty tough financial place, they uh, the French car maker Renault began buying into AMC and trying to help AMC, you know, they shared research and design and manufacturing capacity and stuff. And some people you talk to think Renault was just the worst thing ever. They're, you know, the French were rude and the cars were bad and they didn't listen to the Americans and they ruined the company and the product was terrible. Other people said Renault was the best thing that ever happened. You know, they said, hey, building Renault cars kept our jobs open. It kept the factory sure. running. We sold cars. It brought in technology we didn't have. You know, the French people were kind and I got to go to France and meet people at the Renault headquarters. And so you could ask 10 different people the same question and they'll all tell you something different. And that's the same for whether you're talking about the Pacer, whether you're talking about Renault, whether you're talking about Lee Iacocca and the Chrysler buyout, whether you're talking about, you know, the gas crisis. Uh, Every person we interview has their own take on it. And that's what's really exciting but challenging about making a documentary film is tying those viewpoints together into a story. And it's, I, I really hope that we do a good job of, of showing just how, you know, American Motors wasn't just a company, it was people. And, and those people lived unique, creative, interesting lives. And cars, it would never have happened without those cars, you know? Yep. Yep. Joe, we're out of time, but remind us uh, about the GoFundMe page and your homepage and how to follow you on Twitter. Absolutely. So if you just Google the last independent automaker, you will find us. Or you can check out our website, AmericanMotorsMovie.com. We have a Facebook page for the last independent automaker. And, of course, if you search GoFundMe for the last independent automaker, you can find it there. As well as YouTube, you can watch the trailer there as well. And me, it's easy enough to find me on Twitter. It's just at Joe Ligo, all one word, J-O-E-L-I-G-O. And you'll see I tweet lots of garbage about old cars. <laughs> and so that's why that's why Tom and I are such good friends. I, I love seeing all the car spotter stuff that Tom posts, and hopefully he enjoys the AMC nonsense that I share all the time. Absolutely. I totally do. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. This was wonderful. Thank you for having me. All right. He's Joe Lego. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, it's quiz time. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Thanks for sticking around today. Hey, Damon. Yes. Yeah, Damon, you've launched your own social media network, Truth Damon Social Frank Tweet. How's that going? <laughs> uh, it's going great. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing else on that. <laughs> I hear you don't allow people to post pictures of their food or cats, which I'm behind. <laughs> <laughs> is Frank tweet, is that just uh, people being frank in their tweets? No, that is uh, that is Lindell's social media network, I think. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, it's okay. tr Truth Frank or Frank. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think that's going well. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, have not, I have not started any uh, social network of my own, but I am still on Twitter at Damon Bell Likes Cars. Good. That sounds good. You know what you would need to block if you did start a social media network besides cats and food? What's that? The Pontiac Aztec. It, it's not really that rare, uh, and I'm tired of them. What Do people post Aztecs a lot? They do. It's like we were just talking about the AMC Pacer, which was sort of like a joke car for 30, 40 years, and now it seems like the Aztec has taken its place, and it's like, eh, it's getting old. I don't care. Yeah, I, I don't see them at all. I, I can't remember the last time I've seen an actual Aztec on the streets. Um, um, Palatine, Illinois is crawling with them. Really? Yeah. Most do, you think, do you think that's ever going to come around as a uh, collectible vehicle? I think there are too many of them. I think that, that enough of them were preserved when the whole um, Breaking Bad thing started that people started collecting and buying Aztecs ironically. And I think there's just a lot of them out there in the hands of people who are taking care of them. So I don't know if they'll become collectible, um, but but they're probably worth a lot more than a 20-year-old crossover should be. Yeah. A 20-year-old 20 20 -year minivan that looks like a crossover. 
call it a true crossover. Yeah. 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 There were those GM vans that they tried to make look like SUVs that were <laughs> really minivans, but uh, I would say the Aztec, the Aztec and the Buick, which, which is worse, the Aztec or the Buick Rendezvous? The Rendezvous is actually uglier, I think, because it wasn't supposed <laughs> to be ugly. <laughs> would you think the Aztec was supposed to be ugly? It was supposed to be outlandish. In your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah aggressive. And it accomplished yeah. that. I don't yeah. know. I have yeah. no special Aztec hate. I'm just tired of them. <laughs> All right. All right. We, we're way in the weeds on that one. Uh, <laughs> damn it, it's quiz time. Oh, okay. Oh, we have to mention, too. Yeah, Jill is not with us this week. I think she's out in the desert doing more prepping for her uh, 40 Days in the Wilderness thing. The, the uh, Rebel Rally, the Hyundai Santa Cruz that she and her co-driver, uh, Kristen Vander Shaw are going to be doing. So she, she's going to be fully trained for that event. Right now, she's pouring shoes out of her espadrilles. It's uh, pouring sand. <laughs> pouring shoes out of Or and well, maybe a, a sand and maybe the occasional scorpion. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good TikTok video. <laughs> All right, Damon, it's quiz time. I hope you're ready. All right. So I have to hit the threshold of four correct answers. Three? Three. Okay. Should be a a cakewalk, I hope. Yeah, this should be easy. All right. All right. Uh, Damon, today's quiz topic is three-cylinder, four-cylinder, or five-cylinder. I hope you're ready. Mm, Interesting. Okay. All right. First on the docket, Damon, the 2008 through 2013 Volvo C30. That was that delightful two-door hatchback model that Volvo sold. Um, I looked for one of those for my daughter. I love those. Is that a was that a three-cylinder, four-cylinder, or five-cylinder vehicle? Oh, the Volvo C30. Did they? I know it wasn't a three-cylinder. Did they get weird and have a five-cylinder in that? Hmm. I'm going to call that a four-cylinder. Uh, you are incorrect. That was a five-cylinder. Oh, it was a five-cylinder. Ah, okay. Really more engine than that car needed. A 2.4-liter turbocharged five. You said the C30, right? C30. Was that the Was that the interesting hatchback? Yep. With the all-glass rear hatch? Yep. Yeah, yeah good looking little ride. Yeah, talk about a, a, a Dark Horse Future collectible. That, that uh, could be an interesting collector car in the future all right you are not on the board yet the 2022 bm i'm sorry 2022 mini clubman three cylinder four cylinder or five cylinder i believe uh, that specific, go go ahead or no go ahead you got a clue there i'll take it <laughs> uh, let's just say the base version of that vehicle okay i believe that did switch to a three cylinder this is where this became a trick question. That is true of the Countryman and the Base Cooper, but not oh. of the Clubman. Yeah, the Clubman remains a two-liter turbo. That's the only engine available in it. But oh, yes, other, man. Other, other minis are 1.5-liter three-cylinders. Dang. Damn, you need to get the next three correct. Oh, now I'm getting nervous. Okay. All right. I should have paid. I should have paid more attention to the model you were talking about. Yeah, the BMW i8, the 2015 through 2020 BMW sports car, really a supercar, I guess. Uh, BMW i8. It was a plug-in hybrid. Three-cylinder, four-cylinder, five-cylinder. Oh, was that a three-cylinder? I believe the i3 was. Oh. No, the i3 was all electric. The i3 was all electric. But you could get a range extender version of that as well. Oh, that was a two-cylinder. Was it? Yeah. Oh, God, now I'm nervous. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to call that a three-cylinder, the i8. You you are correct, sir. 1.5-liter turbocharged three. You are on the board. You need to get the next uh, next two correct. The 2022 Buick Encore GX. Three-cylinder, four-cylinder, five-cylinder. That is Buick's subcompact crossover. Uh, I believe that is a three-cylinder. You are correct. You now have two. You need one more to make this work. I hope you're ready. The 2023 Audi RS3. That would be the sportiest version of its subcompact sedan. Three-cylinder, four-cylinder, or five-cylinder. I believe that is a five-cylinder. 
Damon, you saved your butt. Oh, phew. That is a 2.5 liter turbocharged inline five with a whole bunch of spunk, 401 horsepower. You got three out of three for the last three. Uh, <laughs> all right. Damon, according, this is the bonus question, which we do no matter what. I hope you're ready. I am. Uh, okay. According to TacoBell.com, which of the following burritos is not available at a Taco Bell somewhere on the planet? Oh, so anywhere in the country doesn't have to be, or anywhere in the globe doesn't have to be America. Correct. One of these is fake. Uh, I shouldn't have said burritos. I should have said items. Okay. All right. I'm going to read them all to you now. The chicken tikka masala burrito, the schnitzel and red cabbage crunch wrap, the <laughs> kimchi quesadilla, or the shrimp and avocado burrito. Could you repeat those candidates, please? <laughs> <laughs> I can. The chicken uh, tikka masala burrito, the schnitzel and red cabbage crunch wrap, the kimchi quesadilla, or the shrimp and avocado burrito. I got to go with the schnitzel and red cabbage crunch wrap is the fake. Yeah, I can't even read that without laughing. That is, uh, there is no such thing as a schnitzel and red cabbage crutch wrap. I wish there was, but the but there uh, should be. There should be. <laughs> and the others were exactly where you'd expect them to be. The chicken tikka masala is available in India, the kimchi quesadilla in Korea, and the shrimp and avocado in Japan. So you got the bonus question too. So three plus the bonus question. Congratulations, Damon. Hi, uh, thanks. Also, Damon, before we yep. move on, uh, you have news. I do have news. Yes, this is this will be my last uh, consumer guide car stuff podcast. Oh, yes, oh. I, I am moving on from <laughs> moving on from consumer guide. Uh, actually, very quickly, uh, I'm going to be starting this following week at cars.com. Uh, I've accepted a position as senior research editor at cars.com. So. Well. Good for you, sir, because that is a heck of a team. We, we, we know those guys well, and, and they're a crack squad. Yes, it is a fantastic team, and I've somehow, <laughs> I've somehow convinced them to uh, let me join that team, which I'm not quite sure how that happened, but I'm grateful for the opportunity. So Yeah, I don't understand it either, but good luck. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> and, yet, and, and again, sincerely, thanks to you, Tom, for, for all your help and, and just keeping Consumer Guide uh, chugging along these, these many years. It's been uh, a challenging road, but a fun one, too. So thank you so much. It has been a good time. And for people who don't know, Damon and I have worked together for 20 years. So, uh, <laughs> and we, we are haven't, sick of each other. Yeah, and we, we haven't each killed other. each other. But we haven't killed each other yet. <laughs> So that we should give ourselves a pat on the back for that in and of itself. We have. But the cards.com folks getting a heck of a good editor. Uh, I know you're going to do great there. Uh, but you have one last task, and that is to tell us what's going on at the CG Daily Drive blog this week. Yes, it's another surprise, surprise, another good week of uh, great content on the Daily Drive blog, uh, including, speaking of Genesis, we have a test drive review. We got a full road test of the 2023 Genesis GV60 performance. This is a vehicle that we've talked about previously on the podcast because we had access to it at uh, the Mama Rally press event. Um, and so we had one through the office. Pretty remarkable and very unconventional electric, pure electric vehicle. Yeah, I would, this the, this uses Genesis, we talked about this a little bit with Paul Harold of the Sons of Speed. This vehicle makes use of, of Hyundai's eGMP platform, which is uh, a heck of a good starting place for an electric vehicle, but is mechanically related to the Hyundai Ioniq 5 and the Kia EV6. Uh, and if you, if you picture those vehicles, but with really radical exterior styling and a heck of a nice interior, mm -hmm. you get an idea of what this car is. Yeah, what what strikes me about the 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 power of the the acceleration is intense, and just the the true luxury feel of the interior, but it somehow feels completely original and contemporary too. But a totally legit uh, upscale vibe. Very interesting car. Yeah, uh, nice car. What did that sticker out for? I believe it came in, the, the tester we had came in a shade under $70,000. Yeah, $69,560 was our as-tested price. Which is a lot of money, but even that doesn't seem crazy. 
Yes. And speaking of a lot of money and actually kind of crazy performance, (laughs) (laughs) and and I think during my whole time at Consumer Guide, this is probably one of the most eye-searing colors on a test car that I've ever driven. Uh, I think we talked about this vehicle before, too. This is the 2022 BMW M3 Competition. Uh, BMW's uh, compact super sedan, kind of the top performance version of its 3 Series sedan. And the test car we had was in Sao Paulo yellow, which is the most seemingly neon yellow-green color I think I've ever seen on a test car. I need to hand it to BMW to matching random geographic locations with unrelated (laughs) colors and then branding their colors that way. Yeah, there's always a geographic element to a lot of uh, the BMW colors. And I'm slightly offended that they're never like anything that we can relate to. They're always like some sort of tropical. Yeah, it's, not, it's not it's not uh, uh, Cleve, Cleveland gray or <laughs> no, Schaumburg Schom, red. <laughs> Pittsburgh taupe. None of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always something exotic. A lot of Spanish islands, I think. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but 503 horsepower. The this 2022 M3 is noteworthy for being the first M3 you can get with all-wheel drive, and that our tester was equipped with that. So got a full road test of that car. You can check that out on the the daily drive. All right, what else we got? Uh, finally, we've got uh, you did an article about uh, delivery vans going away. Uh, the Chevy City Express, the Ford Transit Connect, and was there another one as well? What was the other one? Uh, the small delivery van, Mark. Oh, that's the the, the Mercedes-Benz Metris. Yeah, so uh, the Nissan NV200. Yes. Yeah, the, the, the interesting thing about these vans is, is they seemed like a good idea at the time. And if you go to Europe... For example, or if you go to China, you will see small vans everywhere. And just because of the the generally tight urban environments, those those vehicles serve well there. But for whatever reason, they didn't catch on here. But American fleets, beginning with the Ford Transit Connect many years ago, uh, they started bringing in these small vans that some fleet operators seemed interested in. But ultimately, um, everything has moved to larger vans. Indeed. And, and a, a really weird one that was only around momentarily was the Chevy City Express, which was a version of the Nissan NV200 built by Nissan. And literally the only thing that changed was the badge and the grill. So if you see one of these, know that you're seeing something very rare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Is that all the stuff? That is all the stuff. And we're out of time. Excellent. Well, Damon, it was fun doing the podcast with you. We're going to miss having you around the office, but good luck at cars.com. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, Thank you, Damon Bell. Thanks to producer Lady B and everyone here at WCPT AMA 20 in Chicago. And as always, thank you to my radio mentor, Steve and Johnny. Remember to follow the Car Stuff Podcast and Consumer Guide on Facebook. If you have questions or comments, drop us a line at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That is carstuff at consumerguide.com. All right. Let's talk more about cars again next week.